I'm more excited to be talking to you about task management. You are going to love it. We have to accept that tech is coming into the world and we have to prepare our, our pupils for the real world. This method is really a game-changing way of invigilating, to be honest. Hello and welcome to the Surpass Assessment Community Podcast. Uh, today we're talking about online proctoring, uh, maintaining business as usual, and I'm joined by a couple of guests that you can ask questions at any point. So you should be able to see a little questions board on the display, so if you do want to ask questions, but uh, welcome Amanda and Janet. Uh, can you hear me, guys? Are you, are you there? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. The technology works. Excellent. Um, so, uh, we're going to take you through a bit of a kind of walk through online proctoring, some examples uh, in the form of the work that uh, Janet's been doing with uh, the Association of Corporate Treasurers. And we're also going to be looking at the uh, situation uh, stateside in North America with Amanda and her experience. So um, I suppose my first question to my my guests is, um, well, do you want to just briefly introduce yourselves? Um, Janet, do you want to go first? Tell us a bit more about yourself. Yes, yeah, sure. So, um, hi everyone. I'm uh, Janet Legg, Director of Awarding Body at the ACT. Um, I've been working there for nearly three years and actually the reason I was brought to the ACT was to help um, try and uh, sort out, um, so there we go, sorry, just yeah. sorted my camera out. <laughs> um, so the reason I was brought there was actually to try and help them resolve some issues they were experiencing with online assessment and remote invigilation. Um, but my background has very much been in the education sector, working for City and Guilds and Pearson for the previous sort of 10 years. Excellent, excellent. And Amanda, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, everyone. My name is Amanda Danis. I am the CEO and lead psychometrician for Danis and Company here in the States, based out of Virginia. Um, I have been a psychometrician now for about 10 years, originally with a large testing company focused a lot on uh, cognitive ability testing, and I moved into the certification licensure area. Um, also a lead psychometric assessor for the American National Standards Institute, specifically focused on um, ISO 17024. And uh, currently my firm um, helps a host of different sizes and uh, different venues, different industries, which is always interesting, of certification organizations around the world, everything from uh, test development, to operational maintenance and operational validity, as well as, of course, now making the switch to uh, the, the adventuresome uh, remote proctoring. So that's where I am. Excellent. So I've, I feel as though I'm kind of, I've got two very, very, um, very knowledgeable people who are experts in this area. So I think we should get some really good questions. So just a reminder to everyone listening, please do ask some questions on, on this as we go through. So I suppose it's a bit of an obvious question, this one, but it's a nice one to kind of warm up with. So following all these recent events, have you both seen a bit of a, a, a kind of change in the industry regarding uh, remote technologies? You know, not so much about remote proctoring, but generally, you know, have we seen much of a, of a change? Amanda, do you want to kind of jump in there first? Uh, sure. Um... Personally, we've had a lot of clients who originally were kind of a little, bit, a little bit hesitant or else maybe their boards or some of their candidates they thought were not ready for remote proctoring. And now all of a sudden they're sort of being forced into exploring that avenue. I've always been a big fan of it. Um, I think it's kind of the wave of the future. I think it's efficient. I think it's flexible. I think it's affordable. I think it's secure. Um, but What's interesting, at least in the States and in North America, is that our two main accrediting bodies, ANSI, which of course is global, NCCA, which is a little more focused in North America, 
are both now, um, you know, ANSI has been on board with remote proctoring for a while, um, and I'm seeing some expedited application processes come out of ANSI right now to kind of adapt to this process that's happening right now. And then NCCA has also come out and said, okay, I think we're going to allow it temporarily. We'll see what happens. They're still piloting, trying to figure some things out. Um, but I think as a whole, everybody is kind of like, this is now the time to kind of figure out if we can pull this off or not. And I think most of them are finding that they can. So yeah. Excellent. So you, you, there's, there's been definitely a mood change. Uh, Janet, what about yourself? Have you seen it? I, I assume you've gone, you've now gone remote as well in terms of your, your working uh, practice. Um, yeah, so um, I think we've probably followed the rest of the UK, um, been all working from home for the last two and a half weeks, really. Um, and I think without a doubt, there's been a massive change in remote technologies, you know, remote invigilation aside, I think everyone, you know, we're all using Zoom and various technologies to keep in touch. And I think, um, you know, luckily for us, we'll come into this in a bit more detail, but we've already gone to online invigilation. So I don't have to go through that pain process now. And, you know, I can't, we're so happy to be in that position, but um, I think it's such a brilliant time. You know, obviously all the, the awful side effects of the, the virus aside, it's going to be a really different world we're going to live in, in in three to six months time, I think, because this is just going to be the catalyst we need, I think, to start moving into remote technologies across the board. I think you're absolutely right. I, th I think you know, everyone's been talking about this kind of, you know, this idea of technology and but they've been... Yeah, some very people have been very fixed on the idea of we have to have a physical location, physical activity, and I think um, this is whole is, has really changed things uh, quite a lot. So, just in terms of your activities with um, online invigilation, online proctoring, could you just kind of explain where you are with your use of the technology? Yeah, so we uh, moved into online invigilation in 2016, so we've been using it for quite a while. Um, but obviously we, we moved across to BTL in 2018. So we've been with you guys for coming up for two years now. Um, we basically deliver exams in around 80 countries around the world. Uh, we have roughly 5,000 students sitting our exams over the course of a year. Um, our exams at the moment are session based. So they, we sit in specific windows across the year. Uh, although we're thinking about moving to an on-demand model, which will be interesting. Um, but we use two methods of delivery for online proctoring. We use the record and review, which is where the exam is recorded um, and then reviewed by a, a group of experts post the exam to highlight any uh, issues or things that students may have done or violated, um, which is then sent to us and we review that and decide whether to take further action or not. Um, or we use the live proctoring, where obviously a, a remote and invigilator is watching. I think they do sort of maximum 10 people at a time on mm. their screen. They'll monitor uh, and also be looking out for the same things, anything odd, dodgy, um, that looks suspicious and flag them uh, either at that time or later. Um, and so we've been using that model for two years now. And I mean, apart from a few sort of teething issues at the beginning, it's it's running really smoothly, um, you know, and it's been a great uh, process for us to have gone into. Yeah, and it's excellent that you've, you've, you have been kind of pioneers in it, um, even before you came to to us as well. Um, you've been exploring this for, for quite some time. Um, I think if uh, for the listeners um, and watchers, um, there is a fantastic podcast that was done recently with uh, Nicoletta from your team, um, which looked at in a bit more detail as to the, the overall usage of, of 
uh, surpass and the, the technology. So uh, I would invite anyone who's uh, interested in finding a bit more out about that in a bit more detail. And if you have a search for a surpass community, surpass assessment community podcast, um, you'll find that and a load of other uh, amazing podcast material as well. So, um, so why did you first, you know, choose, why did you choose to start delivering assessments via remote, uh, online proctor? And what was the, the, the kind of catalyst for yourselves? Um, I'm predominantly cost. We're not a large organization, um, and yet we're a global organization. We are the only treasury professional body that delivers qualifications. And as I mentioned at the start, we've got students in about 90 countries around the world. Um, And we just couldn't afford to host them in test centers. Uh, You know, you've got one student in the middle of a small town in Australia wanting to take our qualifications. Uh, It just wasn't feasible for us. So cost was a massive um, impact. Mm-hmm. and deciding factor in why we moved across okay okay and in terms of the candidates and you know, what's their kind of been reaction to to using this this process this approach oh, well <laughs> that's probably i don't know if you've got enough time to cover all of that but um i think initially very challenging you know you're going to go through the whole sort of people don't want to take responsibility for their own um, equipment. You know, they just want to go and sit in a test center. Someone else takes responsibility. They, they arrive and then they leave. Um, so it's sort of getting that mindset changed where people actually aren't scared of the technology. Because I think that's the problem. People think, oh, my gosh, I've got to set up my own laptop. I've got to make sure I've got enough broadband and, mm. and do all of these settings. And there's a bit of a fear factor there because they're feeling like they're taking it all on themselves. So it's all about sort of getting them along that journey uh, with you, communicating with them, making sure they're clear on on what's required. Um, Mm. I mean, I think for us as well, wherever you are in the journey, you've always got a challenge with people that are midway, the transitioners, you know, the ones that are going either from paper to online or online in a test center to online remote and vigilated. They'll be your hardest sell, really. Um, Mm. Whereas now we sort of we've been doing it for a few years so actually we've got people that have started the journey with us online yeah. and they're absolutely fine so um so it's just making sure that as well you've bought you know you're delivering it to the right or you're communicating with them at the right level um yeah. and being there to be supportive for them and understanding the stress because uh, they are all very stressed they're stressed anyway uh yeah. but you know i think the technology adds another level suddenly they can't remember how to disable a pop-up blocker or <laughs> close down Chrome or whatever. So um, it's just sort of that making sure you're aware of, of people's um, experiences, their level of technological capability. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where they are in that journey. And I think you're right about the, you, the fact that people, well, they fear change in a way, don't they? We, we all naturally do that a little, a little bit. Some people get excited by the, the prospect and, and embrace it. Other people, yeah, they, they don't really want to, to to face it really so having the the if they've if they're used to two different types of models the kind of traditional model then they are going to be in a position where it's going to be awkward for them uh, potentially um, but those that are new to it um, and I, th- I suppose we talk about it with you know kids at school and using technology in the classroom you know they're quite familiar from a, an early age so it just becomes part of an, a normal way of working doesn't it mm-hmm. um we've had a question in um and i think we're going to cover this in a bit more detail but um questions about what the kind of teething issues um to start with i think were they kind of more about the communication approaches to to candidates um uh yes i mean you know i think 
I mean, I'll, I've got a few sort of key tips that I wanted to talk about at the end, but one of them is around sort of consistency of your message, but also your own team being familiar with the software, the process, the product. Because I think if you, your team aren't consistent in their message, able to support the students, that adds so much more fear. You know, if the students yeah. are dialing in and they can hear that actually the person on the other side of the phone doesn't really get it either, then... Yeah. <laughs> You know, then you sort of lost the battle before you've even started. Um, so definitely making sure your communication is the same every single time. So get the process right, know what you're doing, and then just stick to it. Um, but also using different ways of communicating the message. We've done videos, we've used different social media forms. Um, you know, we've gone from sort of long two-page emails of step-by-step -step to short bite size bits of information uh, on social media so you know don't be afraid to be varied uh, in your approach uh, yeah. of how you get the message across so we and we can explore that a bit later because I, I do have some questions uh, about that but obviously if people want to ask some more on those it's you know i've got a few questions coming in but we'll we'll just carry on for the moment and then um so in terms of the the current pandemic impact you know has that had much of an impact on you you know, are you in a position where it is business as usual? Um, I, I feel bad actually being able to say <laughs> that very small, you know, low levels of impact for us. It's very much on the people side. Um, we have an exam session coming up in three weeks. And for us, it is completely business as usual in terms of the preparation. I think what we're dealing with now is people worrying about sitting at home with their children around them, uh, yeah, whether they've yeah. got the space, uh, the mental um, room to take the exam, obviously, if people might be affected by their illness um, itself, but also working pressures. So for me, you know, I'm like I said, it feels awful to say it's BAU for us. Um, but I am very pleased to be able to say that because I wouldn't yeah. like the alternative. Um, but yeah, it's more on the human side now that we have to be a bit flexible. Yeah, it, it, I've noticed it. I think all my colleagues have noticed it. It's not so bad when you're working from home when the kids aren't around and things like that, but um, it is is harder. It's strange, I've seen more cats this week than I think I've ever seen in my entire working career. Um, our calls. <laughs> they, they love, I love them. Um, so how difficult was it for you to start delivering your exams uh, with online proctoring? How, how, when you started, was it? Was it hard one to win across at people? Uh, yeah, another another one that sort of brings back um, some scary reminders of how it was. But I mean, you know, I think we've got different levels of challenge. So obviously for a number of organisations or, or professional membership bodies, if there are any of you out there listening, you know, you've got to get your council on board, you've got to get your executive panel on board. Uh, and actually sometimes that's harder than the students themselves. Uh, you know, um, they might not be experienced with technology. Uh, they might be nervous about it as well. Um, and, you know, to be very open uh, with issues at the ACT, you know, we had a few issues before we'd moved to BTL and, you know, they were impacting reputation. So, mm. you know, there is, a, there is a risk to this delivery. I'm not going to say it's, uh, it's all easygoing and, you know, there's nothing really to worry about it, jump into it, uh, because if it does go wrong, you know that's your reputation on the line mm. um but you know get your approval internally get your stakeholders on board get the support uh, around you i think is key to to get going um in terms of once we sort of started rolling it out um 
as I sort of mentioned before, you've got the issues around students not wanting to take responsibility for their own equipment. Mm. Um, for those of you that have seen the Proctor exam demonstration, you'll know that you need a mobile device as well, whether it's a phone or a tablet. Uh, when we did that, we had some people phoning up going, oh, I don't have a smartphone, I don't have a tablet. And, you know, you feel a bit bad, but at the end of the day, we did sort of go, well, there's a really great offer at Argos for £30. Uh, you know, it gives you a basic smartphone, go and get it, because we can't do it any other way. Um, so, you've, you know, you've got those people that are a bit resistant on the technology side. Um, they don't sort of want to buy into that or, or, or you know, invest in it. Um, student stress, as I had mentioned before, they're all panicking normally, so their logical brains go out the window when it's exam time. Um, countries and locations around the world, so as I mentioned, we've got students in about 90 countries, mm. and I think what you do have is different challenges in different countries, so be aware of, of where you are offering your exams, um, and I think work with, with BTL or, or your provider to understand if there are differences in different areas around the world. There are, you know, you've got Middle East challenges, you've got challenges in China. Um, and then in places like Africa, you've got very different ways of working where most people, even if they're really poor, have excellent mobile uh, data. But, yeah. you know, Wi-Fi at home is like a no-no not yeah. going to happen so you know have that awareness of where you are working and offering this the solution yeah you're right in some some countries the the kind of infrastructure is leapfrogged doesn't it you know, we've seen you know we've had phones you know here in, in england for quite a long time there's the phone network and that actually brings with it its own uh, kind of issues with broadband whereas yeah africa and i remember seeing when i was out in cambodia a monk with a uh, a smartphone you know it, the there are countries who are, who are making those kind of those big leaps. Do, do you think, in light of you know COVID nineteen, do you think it would if you were doing this now? Obviously, it's quite good that you're not. But um, do you think there would be some some difference, uh, kind of different opinions uh, internally uh, to you starting off this now? Would you think it would have been a slightly easier win? Oh my gosh, without a doubt, I, I'm almost jealous. I think because uh, I do think now people there's that stimulus. You know, there's that absolute realization of, of what you need. And I think the impact of not being able, you know, people are canceling exams. I know other awarding bodies are canceling their exams. They're not even looking at alternative ways of doing it. They're just going to wait it out. And you kind of go, well, is that the right approach? Um, because eventually, longer term, you know, we can sort of put this off for as long as we want, but eventually it's going to go online. It's going to go, you know, down this road. Um, and I think. You know, I would just use this this time right now to be brave and, and to push forward with something like this. And I suppose in, just in light of that, there's one question here. Yeah, what do you think the risks are of bringing remote invigilation in too quickly? Do you think there are some risks around that? Is it the, uh, the standard? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when, when we did it, we went big bang. You know, uh, we did it all in one go and it was pretty horrendous and painful. Um, I think one of the things I haven't mentioned yet is also the impact on your own team. So a lot of people do this change and think, well, it's going to take stuff. It's going to stop us doing X. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, we're going to have all this time. Or we're going to be able to do other things. Um, it doesn't necessarily take away from your process. There are different things that you need to do, uh, different activities you need to do. You might need different skill sets in your team. 
Um, you know, so you need to be aware of that. I think the technological side of it, you need to make sure people in your team are, com are comfortable in that space. And, um, you know, whereas they may be more comfortable doing sort of test centers, this might be very different. So there are lots of things to think about. Um, there is a risk if you go big bang and do it all too quickly, that there will be problems. Um, but I do think obviously, uh, very, you know, BTL, you guys have been working with me on this for two years now. I think the support, the understanding we have around the service is brilliant, mm. uh, which hopefully, which will obviously mean that you can give that support to your, your other customers that want to take this up, um, which will be of huge benefit because I think there's nothing worse than when you're sort of trying to, to stagger through this and, and make it work. Um, but also, you know, sometimes if you do go a bit big bang, you get it all over and done with. Uh, <laughs> It's like ripping the plaster, and... the band-aid off, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm probably more of a rip the plaster off kind of girl, but uh, and take it slow. But obviously people are different. So yeah. go with what works for you, your organisation, your stakeholders, you know, your students. I think, I think, like you say, there's a, there's a lot of knowledge within BTL on this sort of thing. So I think just for people to lean on on the yeah. team as much as possible would be be great. Um, so let's, Amanda, let's just turn to yourself a second. Um so you've been working on standards and activities out in the US. Um, what's this kind of status of, of, well, what's the status of the standards and what's the status of remote proctoring out in, uh, in, in North America? May I say one thing before I answer this one? Um, I didn't want to interrupt Janet, but I was thinking while she was talking about making the transition that we've seen something like this happen before. So when I was in grad school and a little bit before that, we were making the transition from paper and pencil to computer-based. And a lot of the same concerns were happening then. A lot of the same, you know, do I have the ability to use a computer? Am I comfortable? Is this gonna cause more test anxiety? Do I have the, you know, is my computer lab going to have the same type of technology that somebody else is? Is there going to be test bias based on the digital divide? And I think this is, this, I always saw this as being sort of a parallel to that process, but I think that COVID-19 is just going to make a bigger leap and it's going to happen faster, but I do see remote proctoring is not going anywhere. Um, so I think that it is time to rip off the bandaid uh, because I think two years down the line, you'll wish that you had done it um, when all this was happening and you just have to have that support system. So sorry, I just wanted to say that because I was thinking about the PNP, the CDT, which I did all sorts of research on in grad school. And it's the same type of, it's all the same type of comments that's happening. So. And, uh, I think your points are very valid. I know there's, there's one particular one that I read from the regulators uh, from this side about uh, making sure that nobody is, um, um, uh, uh, I forget the term that they use, but the learners kind of left uh, left without, I suppose, isn't it? You know, making sure that everyone comes with them. That's the, I suppose, the important part. It, it is a challenge because not everyone has uh, technology. I think uh, when you're dealing with a professional level, I think it's it's slightly easier, I, I believe, because especially, you know, I'd imagine a lot of people are doing this, you know, as, as part of their ongoing job prospects. So they, they'll be in a position where big, they have technology and everyone has smartphones. But I do imagine if you're looking at other areas and if, uh, other cultures, you might be facing some more challenges. So it, it's kind of, it, remote proctoring is quite a big thing in the states isn't it it's there's, there's quite a lot of activity going on with it in certainly the university levels is there much, is there much in terms of the professional level uh, qualifications 
Yeah, I think so. I think that a lot of organizations uh, have been kind of dancing around the idea and investigating it. And I've been seeing a lot of more movement at conferences, a lot more vendors that are now not just partnering with people, but they have their own booth um, and people are, you know, signing on with them left and right. Um, and what a lot of organizations have been doing, which I am a fan of as a psychometrician and a stats person, is they've been kind of launching a pilot program for remote proctoring and being able to compare the data from that pilot program to their either their test center or their in-person proctoring data. Um, and actually one of our clients was the first one to make it through the accreditation process while using remote proctoring. And I was able to, because they were still offering some in-person proctoring, being mm -hmm. able to look at those stats and being able to reassure them, your passing rates are holding steady. Um, there's no differential item functioning across the group, you know, all that kind of good nerdy kind of stuff that <laughs> makes everybody feel better. At the the love. Yeah, I um, but I, I think it's, it's growing in the U S and as you said, from your question, I'm on the technical working group. Um, and it's, it's a joint effort from academia and professional testing com, um, associations. Um, and I think that we're nearing the end. We're in the review process and, and finalization process. I think there will probably be some things put in there due to the current situation that we didn't anticipate. So uh, I think there'll be a final push and I would expect those, the standard to come out probably this summer. Mm. Um, and what's interesting is I'm the co-chair of the equivalency group. And so that's, again, speaks to my research area of looking at the differences in the equivalence of those modalities of testing. Um, and it's just going to be able to give everybody kind of a, a standard to not necessarily be super prescriptive and tell you exactly what to do, but really a guidance document of what you should be looking for when you're doing your homework about your vendors, what you should be asking yourself when you're pulling data from different testing modalities to make sure that everything is working as it should. So mm. I'm looking forward to the finalization happening. It's been a, in a long process. Been Well, these things are, I think what's interesting is that you know, in North America, you are going through that process. You're, um, you know, you're trying to uh, prescribe it. I know the regulators in the UK uh, take a slightly less of a hands-off position. They don't want to start stipulating on on technologies. They don't want to um, okay. give so much guidance. But I suppose what would be really benefit beneficial for uh, for everyone from this is for everyone to look at that guidance that's coming out of out of the, the states, out of North America, and you know, use it and apply it to their their uh, their own particular situation as long as they can justify themselves to their regulators uh, then that should be yeah that should be fine I suppose but um, it is I wonder if it's I, I worry that it might be the the UK's regulators position might be making some people hold off I know uh, Janet you're you're not regulated um, by off qual are you so it's been a little bit easier for you to um, to kind of push this but um, yeah, it's kind of different situations. So, do you th so Amanda, I'm, the next question is probably uh, the answer is probably going to be no. But you know, has has any of the COVID nineteen stuff really accelerated? It? It, it's it's just going to carry on its own track, I suppose. Yeah, not yet. I think I don't know about I don't know about you, but in the last you know few few weeks, I think everybody's just been sort of day to day trying to make things work and trying to figure out. Um, work from home and, and all of that stuff. So I think we've kind of, it's kind of been backburnered for a little bit. Mm. Um, but I think that once we get back on track, I do think that it'll be an accelerated towards the end. Yeah, yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. We're almost there. <laughs> 
Okay, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. So um, obviously, one of the, the kind of main questions that kind of come up from this whole process is, um, and this is to both of you, really, um, what would you say to anyone who has concerns about uh, security in that? Now, we've actually got some questions that kind of match this. So let's we'll try and pick some of these off while we're there. Um, so in terms of people um, uh, copying items as part of it, what measures are taken to prevent cheating uh, from the uh from kind of uh, gathering the the question data um janet i think you you do yours as a series based um exam process does that mean you're doing a, a, a new test every time is that the case uh yes so we yeah we have a new exam each session but we sit so even though if we have a session based exam our students can sit all over the world and they sit at the time local to them so uh we might have students sitting the certificate in treasury at 9.30 a.m. in Australia, uh, which is 12 hours before the UK students sit. So there is um, there is that element of risk, but obviously with the recording and the, the screen sharing, because of all the elements uh, that we have in terms of security, you can see, you know, uh, you've got the screen sharing, what shows you what they're doing on screen. You've got the webcam, which is like this, which shows you what's happening here. And then you've also got the mobile phone, which shows what they're doing on their desk. Um, and so often what you'll find is that if people are misbehaving or even uh, taking photos of items, uh, so we did actually have one student, funny story, uh, that was flagged because they were taking photos and we thought, are they taking photos of the, the items? Um, <laughs> actually, when we investigated further, he was taking a selfie of himself. Um, <laughs> so that is, that is one of the funny sides to the remote invigilation is you do get to see all sorts of interesting stuff on the videos. Um, <laughs> but the coverage that you get gives us a lot of security that people aren't, you know, um, taking the items aren't cheating I mean if they are we and, and we have had a few people who've had to disqualify um, for us as well if they are um, if we identify them as cheating potentially cheating they may get struck off our membership board they we have an yeah. ethical code they need to abide by so for our students reputationally it's a massive thing if we were to disqualify them and, and you know kick them yeah. out of the ACT um, so that gives us a bit of a security from that side as well and Amanda, from a kind of psychometrician's point of view, what's your kind of thoughts on security? You know, obviously there's there's things like loft, et cetera, which could be uh, employed. Is that, Would that be the, the kind of suggestion you would maybe go down? Uh, depends on the size of the program, right? So if yeah. you want a loft or an adaptive test, you know, I have small programs who say, oh, we want an adaptive test. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're talking about thousands of questions and thousands of people. And, you know, there's got to be other, other stop gaps put into place to protect your content. And I think what Janet pointed out, uh, as far as the IT goes, especially with Surpass with the dual camera action, um, which is why it's really my favorite vendor at the current time, um, shameless plug on the yeah, webinar, that's but fine. here that's it is. <laughs> um, I think we both, I think it's <laughs> obvious. Um, but, you know, the one thing as with a little bit of a psych background that I speak to when I talk to people about switching from a live person proctor, either in a training center or in a test center, is the absolute removal of a relationship between the candidate and the proctor. There is no, that, that, that proctor that is watching you take a test could not care less whether or not you pass or fail. So yeah. there is no sort of, oh, they're in my industry or, oh, they took my class. Oh, 
I, you know, I've sat on this committee with this person, I might want to help them a little bit or let yeah. them take some materials to the test center or whatever it is. Um, that, that whole human aspect of cheating and which is huge in some cultures is just absolutely removed. It's just taken off the table. So if that's been a problem for you in the past, especially with a global program, um, remote proctoring, you might really see your pass rates kind of be much more in control just because of that human aspect. And yeah. Yeah, you think you're right. In terms of the test center kind of environment, it is if it's a you know a professional test center where someone turns up and they've have absolutely no connection with it at all. It is there's a lot of security measures in there. But I think like Janet says yourself, you know how you look at how you present you know your questions, the items that you deliver, but then having all this kind of all these other tasks, kind of security measures around you can really help aid the process of of identifying. Uh, test fraud, can't it? It's it kind of it's all information that 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 builds up. Um, one question that's coming here is um, kind of: Are there any? Uh, do you find higher levels of malpractice uh, for remote proctoring in general? Um, I don't know, it, Janet. Is that something that you've seen? Uh, you know, uh, uh, have you seen an increase in cheating, or do you just think that you're actually finding you know people that uh, might have been cheating through other measures uh, in standard practice? Um. That, that is a hard one in a way. We have seen a few more recently, but I don't know if that's just to do with a bad bunch uh, or if it's because we're being a bit more rigorous. Um, but I think what you, you know, what we're sort of saying earlier is that actually with, with it being online, it's almost like a one-to-one uh, relationship with that student. You know, you are watching. I think it's better than in people in a test center or whatever, because you've got one-to-many. And on this situation, it's being reviewed so many times by different people um, that, you know, and people forget they're being recorded. So they will, their bad behavior will come out. If it's going to happen, it will, because an hour in, they've forgotten they're being recorded. Mm. And you do start to notice uh, when they are doing things. Um, so yes, it, it has, it's probably more visible to us now than it would have been in the past, um, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. I'd yeah. rather know. Yeah, exactly. It's better to know, isn't it? Um, so in terms of the live and recorded, so obviously live is where someone's watching you take the test straight away and, and recorded is uh, someone where someone's watching it play back at, at speed and seeing uh, repetition of, of movement. Have you, have you got a particular preference on on that at the moment do you, which one do you prefer um not particularly i mean we tend to go for live uh invigilation when we're doing longer exams so our exams go up to four hours so yeah. we tend to do our three hour plus using live uh invigilators anything under that we use the record and review um i mean either both work they're as good as as each other um, in different ways obviously the record and review then often you might get more work because everything's reviewed by the review team and then it comes to you and it's given in sort of a rag status red, red amber green now obviously they are flagging anything that's hit a violation uh, tick list you know so that could be something as you know small as well they could see someone had a tablet next to them you know one thing and then that would maybe be amber yeah. um which then means the team, my team, will have to go through and we, we check all those videos and, and thoroughly make sure. And sometimes for us, it's common sense. We go, actually, n- nothing odd's going on here. Yeah. 
you know, but rightly, the invigilators flagged it for us to make yeah. that decision because it's not their call to make. Um, so, but both situations, I, I think, works for us. Um, yeah. it's, it's what you're more comfortable with, perhaps, as well. And I think the bonus of having that camera, second camera, it helps to not only, I suppose, eliminate the uh, people who are cheating, but also eliminate general, yeah, uh, genuine mis you know, mistakes or, you know, if they, they looked away or they moved out of camera shot, if you've only got that one view, then you would you would never know what they did, whereas the other camera can actually show that they leaned over to, you know, do something. Yeah. Um, I um, think, um, innocent. yeah, just to jump in there, sorry, but that for yeah. us, I think we love that element of it. It's one of the best things changing providers um, to have that third view because so much happens on the keyboard. Yeah. And you can't even see my hands on the camera right now. You wouldn't yeah. know what I'm doing. Whereas yeah. the phone gives you that, it's it's brilliant. Yeah. And Amanda, in terms of you know, it, it, the state side, I know there's a kind of bit of a preference towards live uh, invigilated examinations. Do you think if having that second camera, do you think that would actually maybe relax some people's concerns about security? I don't know yet. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think it's kind of like a baby step issue. Uh, and to me, you know, you know, ANSI was the, was the, uh, uh, was the lead as far as saying, yes, we're going to accredit programs that are using remote proctoring as long as they meet all of these things. Um, as of right now, record and review is not one of those options. So as of right now, live proctoring is the way to go. Um, and I think I would like to say yes. I think in the future, I've seen the stats on it. I've seen the examples. I've seen the clients who do both and their numbers and their reactions to it, like Janet's. Um, and I think in the future, yes, we will get there. Um, but I think right now, you know, it's kind of like, let's just bite off a little bit at each time. So we get approval, we get everybody on board, we get all the stakeholders, the candidates, everybody comfortable with one, and then maybe we'll get to that. And I could see some pilot programs running just like some people right now of my clients and others who are doing the both um, in person or not anymore, but we're doing in person and remote proctoring and being able to compare those stats um, I could see that in the future, being able to compare the stats between live proctoring and record and review. What do the security incident logs look like from both of those processes? So mm -hmm. I think it's, I see it as progressive. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's taking it's small steps, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, there is one other kind of question which does lead into this next question about data privacy, but um, it, there was a question about toilet breaks. Um, <laughs> If people are always ask this, it's, it's a popular question. I, I, I completely get it. Um, <laughs> what do you do about toilet breaks, uh, Janet? <laughs> um, three hour plus exam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it is funny because toilet breaks are like students' number one question as well. Um, so we ban them. <laughs> brutal, brutal, I know. Um, no, look, we, we say toilet breaks are not allowed unless they're doing a four hour exam and yeah. then they're allowed one toilet break. Uh, however, at the end of the day, if it is uh, recorded or, or even live invigilated, you can't stop someone getting up and going out and coming back in yeah. um, if they need to. And sometimes if they are live invigilated, they'll message the invigilator and say, I'm just going to the toilet. Um, but obviously any break, if a student leaves the room or the camera, those are all flagged. Yeah. And so you will get them on your incident report anyway. And um, you know, yeah, fair enough. They might be gone for two minutes, don't know what they're doing in the toilet, but we kind of go with 
too, but it's probably not enough for them, certainly for our exams to, you know, to get a huge amount of uh, information to, to cheat. Um, but it is flagged. And I think if you get people who are perpetually leaving the room, you yeah. know, up to you what you want to do with that. If you want to disqualify them because they've left the room, uh, you know, you set the rules of how, how harsh and unrealistic or, you know, you want to be. I had a, I had a, sorry, I'm going to interrupt really quickly. Yeah. I had a client who was um, using one of the larger <coughs> testing center networks and had discovered that um, the test center, anyway, somehow they discovered that somebody had stuck a smartphone up into the paper towel dispenser in the bathroom. So even though you had to lock your cell phone away, you know, in, this, in the little personal lockers, when you log in, they said, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And of course, the bathroom break was allowed because it was a four hour exam they had gone in and could access the smartphone that was in the bathroom. So my response to how to handle those types of things is that if they are determined, they will find a way no matter, yeah. you yeah. know, I, I mean, those incidents are rare, but they will occur on either, on either side of the, of the argument mm -hmm. of what, who your partner should be. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> to me, I think it is, there's, there's the, there's the element of what are you testing and how are you testing? Because if you've got a you know, full multiple choice, you know, uh, where someone could um, take away the answer options and transmit those, and you, know, you go into another, you know, another space to, to kind of remember the ABCs, etc. Um, there are options about putting breaks within the test, aren't there? So you could say, you know, up to this point, you can't go back. You know, this is a break. You can't go back now and answer any of this stuff. So you don't know what's coming because you've not seen the questions. Mm -hmm. Um, so I suppose what you're doing is, is, is having the opportunity to spot up, really, I suppose, on um, uh, some of the, the stuff, but you don't necessarily know the questions that are coming. You can't go back and change them anyway. So um, it's there are I think there are approaches and ways around that. And like you say, it's just a judgment call, isn't it, really, as to how you handle that. Um, just in terms of uh, data privacy, because obviously you know, people are showing their IDs, uh, et cetera, that's been recorded. Um, you're in their own personal space, just like we are now here. Um, your guys, your space is slightly more um, uh, lived in the my white wall, um, uh, being decorated uh, bedroom. Um, so, do you think there are any concerns about data privacy? You know, is there anything that either of you have come across in that sense? Maybe Amanda, do you go first? Sure. Um, this is a tougher question because I don't. I usually deal with test content security, uh, but you know, I feel. For candidate information, at least, you know, especially according to ANSI standards in 17024, there are a ton of things put into place to protect candidate um, information. So obviously, if you are shopping around for a vendor, these are the types of questions that you want to ask them. How is this data prepared? How long are you going to keep the data? When is it going to be destroyed? How is it going to be destroyed? All of those questions. Some of the vendors are ISO certified for security, which is great. Um, and as far as the candidate information as your internal policies go, you've got to make sure that you're following up and if that there are ever any incidences that you have both your corrective actions, your preventive actions, um, all of that kind of stuff. But I don't know that, that there's a huge ton of difference um, across proctoring modalities with data privacy. I think it's there either way yeah. um, as an issue. And the one thing that I would say about personal things being in the background and et cetera, is that some of the onus of remote proctoring is placed onto the candidate. So they need to have very strict instructions before they sign up. And we've helped our clients develop that of, 
what they need to be responsible for, not only with their technology, but as well as their surroundings. And what are they planning? Is their daughter going to walk into the room? You know, all of that kind of stuff. So they, they have to take some of that responsibility onto themselves and when they're setting up their testing session. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's the kind of standard common sense activities. And then I suppose, Janet, you've been through this yourself um, in terms of bringing a a vendor on board. It's about doing your own uh, security due diligence, isn't it? GDPR, etc. Is yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also contractual. I think uh, you do get into conversations though around things like ID. So for us, um, none of the uh, invigilators see the ID, so that's all captured right up front, and then that data they can't see that at all. We're the only ones that can actually view the ID data yeah. uh, and the review team to check that that person is who they say they are. Um, but for all of us, the videos, footage, um, ID, all of that is stored for a maximum six months. And we've set that because obviously, as, as people know, with GDPR, you have to prove that you need it for that length of time. For us, that gives us enough time to go through an appeals process um, if, if a student needed to appeal it and close that down. So for us, we've set it at maximum six months. As soon as six months is hit, everything's wiped. Yeah. Um, and so it is, yeah, it's about sort of what works for you adhering to GDPR rules, um, making sure you have that conversation with your suppliers. And um, yeah, I mean, everyone, we've had a few people, uh, actually just a good point though to say is if people can ask for certain sets of data, uh, as you know, so uh, you you have to provide, if they do ask for it, you'd have to provide the chat logs. Uh, They are allowed to see the video footage. They can have all of that. So uh, be mindful of that as well, because it is their data. Um, and then just to say what Amanda mentioned about what's in their background, completely up to them, but also they need to know that, you know, they've been told there shouldn't be things on there, you know, it needs to be a clear environment, <laughs> they shouldn't have anything around them, uh, so. And that goes back to communication again, I mean, the, the, you make the switch and that's fine, you get everybody on board and your communication has to be key and consistent to your candidates, your stakeholders, your board members, um, and your internal team as to how we're going to approach this so that nobody has any questions. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all valid stuff. So, yeah, and people are right to be concerned, aren't they? But it's, yeah, there are ways to kind of address it. Um, so what would you say to anyone who's concerned about their regulator's position in online proctoring? And just to kind of add this in, we've got um, a question. Can you please provide some examples of how to justify uh, the process to reg- uh, regulatory agencies? Um, do you think, well, I suppose it's North America, Amanda, you, you've talked about the kind of the, the standards that people are, are working towards. Is there anything else that they, they, people can do to, to justify their, their kind of decision to, to move down this route? Well, unfortunately, uh, I don't think that they need to make a justification anymore. I mean, I think the current situation with the pandemic uh, is the justification. Um, ANSI has come out with uh, which is the, you know, the global regulator uh, has come out with an expedited process to be able for accredited bodies who already are accredited, but they've been using test centers or whatever to uh, very quickly get a process through to approve this new method of testing. Um, and ANSI sees the need for that and they're moving forward with that. And I believe NCCA has had some communication about something similar as well. So I don't know that you really even have to make a justification anymore. Um, and I think that this is another reason why to make a tiny silver lining out of all of this, uh, which is still horrific, but, um, to be able to use this as, as the catalyst to get you, to get you across that hurdle. Hmm. Um, yeah. 
I don't, but I don't know about alcohol. Okay, Jana, anything, anything you to add there in terms of regulatory? I mean, side? I think I, I agree with Amanda. I think now's the time um, to use it to your advantage. Um, I, we're lucky enough we're not regulated, uh, so I haven't had to have those uncomfortable conversations. Um, and certainly I know it is a big worry for people generally at other conferences I've spoken that they come up to me and go oh but you're not regulated so you don't have to jump through the hoops we do yeah. um, but I do think now's the time be brave have those conversations um, you know they can't really turn around now and say no or yeah. I think validly come up with some reason why it's it's not feasible yeah and, and I, think and I don't I don't think it's going to go back to normal anytime soon. And so I think no. that people who might be waiting, oh, we're going to wait it out. We're going to just pause it for a few months. I had a couple of clients who said that a while ago, and now they're like, this is, we, we can't pause for this long. There's just no way. Um, yeah. and, I, and I also think that even further in the future, I think that everybody's going to kind of expect that there's this remote technology aspect to life now. And everybody is going to be like, why can't I take it as a remote proctor? Like, why don't you offer that? I think it's start going to start to be expected, actually. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, like I said, my communications with the UK regulator or the England regulator, Ofqual, yeah, they're, they're open to um, people talking to them, communicating with them. So I think, you know, go to your regulator and, and ask them about this. You know, they, I think they're going to be perfectly understanding. Well, I would hope they're perfectly understanding that, that a situation has changed and, you know, business as usual needs to carry on. And you're right, Amanda, you know, there's nothing... This isn't going to end itself in the next few weeks. This is going to have a big impact for the next 12 months, uh, potentially longer. Um, so, okay, let's, um, we're coming towards the end. I've just got a couple of questions and about tips really. And then we'll try and kind of, we've had loads of questions today. So this is fantastic. Um, so what tips would you give to someone uh, ready to take the next steps, steps into online proctoring? Janet, in particular, I suppose communication has come through. What, what kind of things would you, would you suggest that over and above what you've said? So yeah, I, um, I've kind of got four tips uh, that I, I scribbled down earlier. Um, so the first one is communication. Uh, I mentioned before about consistency of the message, um, using different media ways of getting that message out. Um, you know, we've got to understand that people have differing levels. You've got to try and make it accessible. Um, but also be open, be transparent. Don't feel that you need to sort of hide some of the detail around this. I think the more open you are with your students, the better they respond to it. Um, you know, let them challenge you. It might be wise to do, you know, whatever method you have in terms of getting bulk messages out there, communicating as frequently as you can uh, and giving them room to feedback as well. Don't be afraid to hear mm. what they think. Um, because I do think if you try and sort of just throw it on them and let them sort of sink or swim, it doesn't go down particularly well. So, you know, you might feel like you're bending over a little bit backwards uh, at times for them, but I think it's worth it in the long run. So, you know, communication is key, but also use, you know, we do little sort of pop-ups on social media as we're heading towards exam week, you know, things to think about, short, accessible, snappy, um, but it's always the same message. Each one is the same thing. You know, we don't change the language. When we're telling people, make sure you've got the latest version of Chrome. That's all we say. We don't, you know, you don't fluff it up into something else that it, it needs to be. Have the latest version of Chrome. You can only use Chrome. That's it. Don't, you know, don't try and explain why or whatever. Just keep it simple. Um, yeah. 
Excellent. Uh, I think my other one was familiarization. Like I said before, get your team familiar, let them yeah. know what they're talking about. They've got to be confident. If they're not confident, the students won't be confident. Um, I think prepare for the worst <laughs> okay. would be my third one. Prepare for the worst, but expect the best. Um, you know, it will throw up things that you haven't thought about. No matter how well you prepare, you will come across a situation which you thought, oh my word, what? Oh, you know, how do we, how do we deal with this? Um, but be positive. And I think right now is the time to be brave. So, you know, I would say rip the plaster off. Um, <laughs> but it does, you know, I do want to say people are worried about it, but it does work. I have gone through for the last 12 months now, exam sessions, which have been, I want to say flawless, um, but pretty much, you know, not one complaint from a student, not yeah. one issue, not one, you know, crying student and we have had students crying on the phone to us before um and it it really does work when you go for it and i think yeah. you've just got to you know like i said prepare for the worst but um hope for the best and then it should be fine excellent and there's um i was thinking the other day we've got some footage um what they were used in our promotional materials and you know i think if anyone's looking for some quick footage of uh, examinations in process as part of their communications then please do get in touch i'm sure we can find a way to share that out as well and you're absolutely right about being um consistent with your message but also being very clear in it and not fluffing it up um so thank you for those tips of uh, excellent uh, amanda in terms of north america what, what would you be your kind of tips um, any kind of final suggestions from yourself? I don't know that, the, that I just have two um, and I don't know if they're solely to, to North America, but the one thing I would say is do your homework. And as much as I um, like the Surpass system and love the dual camera system, there are so many other things that you need to consider when you are trying to figure out which of the vendors you're going to use for your remote proctoring system. Um, one is how well does it work with your test delivery system and your item baking system. Um, and what we usually do for our clients is we'll put together kind of a cost research spreadsheet and it has all the things that, that are important to them. And then we cross-reference them with the different vendors so they can make an educated choice. It's not always going to be necessarily about cost. It might also be about whether how quickly they can provide on-demand scheduling or are they doing session-based? How many people do they watch at a time? Um, all of those sorts of parameters are all need to be researched so that you can make a good decision. You don't regret it later. The second tip would be uh, to have a data plan. And that would be so that when you have some people who are on your board or a candidate comes up three months later and they're just, you know, they, they appeal their score, their decision. And of course they will because somebody's going to fail. And they say, well, I didn't like remote proctoring and I think it was unfair and, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So have a plan in mind of how you're going to examine your data after you've rolled out your remote proctoring to be able to prove the equivalence to the test as it was administered previously. Um, and so I think you need to plan out sort of your own little research study and whether or not you're going to publish it or it's going to be internal or white paper or whatever, uh, or just use to talk to the candidates when they have a problem or that one board member who was like, I still don't like this way. Yeah. Then you can say, yeah, but look, here's what's going on. I'm going to prove to you that it's really okay. And I guarantee you it's going to turn out to be okay. Um, I have not had it turn out any other way yet. So uh, put that plan into place so that you can really demonstrate to people that it's working just as well. That's some excellent advice and tips there. Um, I think one thing, I'm just going to bring in one of uh, our colleagues, uh, Sam, just to uh, add into, um, mm -hmm. there we go, uh, just so we can help us with uh, answering some of these questions. Sam, are you there? Can you hear us? 
Hello. Yeah, Hi. Excellent. Um, just, I'm, I'm going to work through these questions now. But the, the one tip I would kind of uh, do suggest for anyone is a, a technique called pre-mortem, uh, which apparently is a NASA thing where they 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 basically look at something and say, well, what, what actually? Let's pretend it all went wrong. We tried to land a man on, man on the moon and it, it crashed and um, you know crashed and burned. You know, looking, taking that slightly glum look at the the process and, and picking off all the the bits and let like you say get yourselves everything plan in action then so you're almost preparing yourself for the worst and uh, like uh, Janice said you, know, you can expect the best then from from the whole process uh, so those would be that would be my tip um, right so let's just have a quick skim through some of these questions so lots of questions about toilets I hope nobody was asking me to go to the toilet during the webinar um, we'll be quick on this so you can go if you do want to um, so there was one question about a secure client and web delivery um, I believe uh, with the ACT um, test, the Association of Corporate Treasurers test that's done through the web delivery um, uh, yeah. platform, Sam or Janet, do you, is that's that right. something? Excellent. Mm -hmm. yep, okay. correct. Um, and I suppose when people were saying about item, uh, people worried about people um, scraping items or copying items um, with the session-based approach that would actually um, uh, help with that and also with the, the dual cameras do as well. Um, so a question here, what are the pass rates like? So Jana, I don't know, is that something you you, you have any kind of insight? Has it changed your pass rate um, approach or is it business as usual? Um, not, not significantly. We haven't noticed a massive uh, improvement in pass rate, but it's quite hard for us to, me uh, to measure that because we actually changed our qualifications at the same time that we went <laughs> online. So uh, we moved from a modular approach to a sort of pathway. Um, so we don't really have like for like, unfortunately. But um, I mean, year on year and session by session, they remain uh, pretty consistent. Um, and, you know, we've had the odd session where suddenly, you know, the pass rate's really low or really high. But uh, that's we can't see any link to uh, online invigilation having any impact on that. Um, so it's either just the cohort or, or potentially an issue with the assessment itself. Yes, Go on. Amanda. I was going to say uh, the one client that I had that went remote a long time ago um, and we did a, a extensive studies of their data when they did it because uh, they had maintained accreditation throughout and that was sort of a, a new thing at the time. Um, and their pass rates actually dropped when they were remote proctoring. Um, and the, it was one reason why they had wanted to go with remote proctoring because in certain areas of the world, they were having a really hard problem with the human, human, the live proctors, um, <laughs> human, uh, non-robot uh, proctors really helping the candidates pass the test just yeah. from whether it was a cultural or a training or an association or they knew the person um, and the pass, the pass rates actually dropped and they've held steady then. Um, and so that's been really great for them to be able to control that both the item exposure as well as just the unauthorized assistance. Excellent. So um, uh, for recorded approach, how long, uh, how long would it take for the re uh, review? Sorry, how long would it take to review the recordings and determine inappropriate uh, behavior so stroke violations. How many reviewers would typically look at one candidate's test session? Um, see that maybe Sam or um, Janet there. How many, so let's just take that first bit, uh, sorry, second bit. How many people look at the test session in terms of reviewing 
afterwards. In a record it. and review process, it is one-on-one. -on -one, so the review would would uh, monitor one exam at one time. Okay, so they're not watching sixteen, six or no. ten exams play out. No. Um, and that's done at speed playback, isn't it? It is six times speed to capture any behaviour, especially in the face. If they're looking toward, around the room, if anyone is there or, or there's something suspicious, uh, the, it's been proven that that speed captures that happening. Okay. And so uh, when we say about how long it would take, well, it's actually six times faster to watch back a recorded session mm -hmm. then. Um, let's just have a look. Um, I think we've covered over the other one. Uh, preferred proctor method. We've done that one. Um, Janet, you mentioned about key issues with professional bodies. Um, I think you, you mentioned this earlier. Was that just in relation to regulators, do you think? Um, Ooh, I what, need to remember what, what the, I said. <laughs> what were the key issues with professional bodies? Um, I, th I think you just mentioned professional bodies in there. Maybe um, we can have a listen back on the playback and um, I can get back to the um, person on that if mm. there's anything particular. Or if the person involved would like to send through a bit more details clarification. What can, yeah clarification that would help um i think that's about it it's just a lot of toilet questions so um before we all need the toilet um i want to thank my uh, uh guests today uh, amanda and janet uh, this is you've been uh, fantastic thank you very much for your your for your, yes, your insight thank you. um and sam thank you for also being there for the the technical questions i think you got off lightly there i think i, think I did <laughs> Um, so, uh, of course, if anyone wants any more information, th there is a, a video available on the uh, BTL and the uh, SPAS.com websites if you want to have a look at uh, how our system works and a bit more information about the dual camera side of things. Obviously, get in touch with us if you want more details. My information is up there if you want to speak to me, uh, as well as if you want to go direct to anyone else. But um, thank you very much. Uh, really do appreciate you tuning in and we'll look forward to speaking to you all soon. So thank you, guests, and uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, that's it from me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sam. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. To keep up to date with the latest information from our Surpass community, just visit surpass.com. And we'll be back with another podcast soon. Thank you for listening.